Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anand, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Most people don't equate Lansing, Michigan with the tropics, but nestled within this city is Proust Pets, a Caribbean-themed tropical store paradise and major animal destination filled with high-quality fin, feathered, and furred pets. My guest today, Rick Proust, owner and operator of Proust Pets, is a leading fish expert in Michigan who devotes much of his time to education to foster good pet care. Join us as we learn more about Rick and his landmark store. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Rick Proust, owner of Proust Pets, a Michigan institution. Hey, Rick, I really appreciate your taking time off to, uh, to join us today. Sure. So, you know, you've got such an amazing place there. We'll talk a little bit more about it, but I kind of want to get into uh, some of your past, hopefully not too deep or dark, but can can you tell us a little bit about about your first fish and your first aquarium? So, you know, I was, uh, I've always been the uh, son of a passionate hobbyist, and that was my mother. I was fascinated by fish from a very early age. I, I will tell you that I always try to have in stock coolie loaches and glass cats and upside down catfishes because as a young child, those are fish that I always were like completely amazed whenever we'd go to a fish store or I would look into my mother's fish tanks. I didn't become a fish hobbyist until I was in college, and then I I put up my own fish tank, and it was a hexagon tank, 27-gallon hex with a variety of fish that moved around the tank and, you know, schooling fish, and I really, really, really loved it, but as the years have gone by, it's less about the hobby and, and more about the people that get into it and really helping them out so that they can be the successful hobbyist that that they can be, and then their life changes. Yeah, well, that's that's great. Now, um, I remember reading somewhere that you actually, I guess, started working with your mom, and your, I, I guess, did your mom have a fish store? Yeah. So, from the time I was six years old, we had a store. The first one was called the Fish Bowl, and it was in Troutville, Pennsylvania, otherwise known as kind of an Amish community, but there were enough that weren't. That uh, my dad had a church in that community, and. Uh, My mother quickly turned what was the parsonage, which was a relatively small entryway area of the house, into our first fish store. And then we turned the basement into the parsonage. So that was our first fish store. And what I remember most about it is you'd walk in there as a six-year-old and hear nothing but bubble-up corner filters. And that was the coolest sound that you'll ever imagine as you get older and you think back and reminisce not just on sights, but also sounds. And that bubble up corner filter uh, in 50 fish tanks at once really makes an unusual and cool sound. 
Yeah, I can imagine. It's kind of like being maybe in a deep, dark cave and, and sort of uh, hearing noises from the ocean or something. Yeah, it's it's just great. There's just nothing like it. So I always enjoyed the fish. It was always a business of enthusiasm and passion and excitement, whether it was just a fish store or it became a full line pet store. And as the years went by, uh, my mother had what was called uh, Noah's Ark, and it was a full line pet store in a small town called Cambridge Springs, Pennsylvania. And uh, my dad built an ark down the center of the building, and animals were throughout the whole ark. And then along the side walls of the the building, there were all of our fish tanks. So it was a really cool display, and I was going through later years of elementary school and high school uh, with this full line pet store. And we lived above top of it and uh, had things like toucans making strange noises in the middle of the night and howler monkeys. And back then, you know, exotic animals were, you know, anything was possible. So we had anacondas and little monkeys and, and uh, toucans and minor birds and all kinds of crazy stuff. So that was the fun times. Wow, you, you basically lived this almost from, from the moment you were born. That's pretty amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. I, have a, I have another question for you. When you were, I guess, in college, had you thought about taking over or building a, a pet store? Or, you know, kind of what were your plans when you were in college? So I was in my last year of schooling, and my mother decided to go into East Lansing, that is the, the town of Michigan State University, and manage a store that was right down not more than a couple blocks from where I was staying. So, of course, I had to go in there and uh, apply for a job, which was immediately given. And <laughs> from there, you know, that it always wrote, you know what I mean? It, I, I just, I was both feet in and completely committed. And I just love it. I think it's one of the best businesses that I could ever have fallen into. It's kind of interesting because uh, although I was really good at school, I also have some personal limitations. I have a reading problem, kind of uh, some learning disabilities. I did very well in school, but then 12th grade, they found out that I had a fifth grade reading level. And so there was some uh, difficulty in taking tests and stuff. I wouldn't have mind been a veterinarian maybe, but I don't think I could have ever accomplished that. So I went to something that really worked out well for me. And that's really working with the public in sharing topics and concepts in pet keeping that really kind of connect with them and connect with me. You know, the fact that we kind of have a way of reaching out to that other person through pets. They're like a catalyst, if you think about chemistry, and they change the arrangement that we have with each other just through the energies associated with pet keeping, whether that's fish or any animal that happens to be. They can be a really, they're a multiplier, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So the place that your mom took over, is that the site where your current store is, or did you move, or, or and, so, and maybe tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from there, a short town away, like within seven minutes driving, there's a town called Hazlitt, and that's where we set up our first, like after, well, first Michigan-based full-line pet store, and it was called Pruce Animal House, right? And nice, it's still the yeah. same company. It's still the same company. But back then, my mother and my father decided that that's what the name was going to be. So that's what we rallied around. And uh, and that was in 1982. And we had absolutely nothing, like two pennies to scrape. We had just pretty much gotten off of welfare within like the last year previous to that, you know, and... We were kind of scratching two pennies together. We didn't have a vehicle to drive, so we actually lived in the back of the this plaza that we had rented space. We borrowed the $2,000 that it took to get the first month's rent, 
And even then, the fellow that loaned us the money, actually, the check bounced. So it was just a clerical error on his part, I guess. But uh, <laughs> we managed to make it happen. And, you know, from there, the story happened. And uh, it's been a, a fantastic story. And it's been, a, I would say, for the first 15 years, extremely difficult, very rewarding, very challenging. I think that uh, given another dozen, two dozen, three dozen individuals or families to go through the same scenarios that we did, they would have been out of business. I mean, it definitely took tenacity and I'll put the appropriate uh, credit first on my mother's crown because she kind of navigated us through all of that. But it took a whole family from uh, my wife, my father, my sister and and my brother and everybody that it took that was part of it really did their contribution to keep get us to be where we are today. Yeah, and it's it's definitely an amazing store. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to describe it in a in a little bit, but first I wanted to ask, you know, when you first started, what's your kind of biggest memories of the hobby back then? A uh, good question. You know, the fish hobby, the freshwater hobby, and the saltwater hobby were kind of in some. I think of it almost emotionally speaking for me, kind of dark ages. You know what I mean? And I, and I call it dark ages, not because it was a bad hobby. It was a really, really good hobby. But the amount of sharing of information and knowledge and the knowledge for which we had to work with was very, very, very limited. So we would struggle to try to figure out, you know, how to do it and how to do it right. And we were all on our own little islands. So I think there were probably, I guess, individuals that figured it out and did very well. And there's others that uh, may have not done very well. And to me, I always took it personal if I even lost one fish, let alone a tank full of fish. So early on, I thought it was really, really important to learn how to do this. And I don't know that that was commonly shared among everybody. But since then, I would say that the shared information of the internet and the opportunity to have that information out in front of you is many, many fold better than it was back then. So I kind of like where the hobby is going to now in regards to information and for the ability to have healthy fish and, and happy tanks. Back then, we were trying to figure it out. I would say that what was really strong back then that isn't so strong now is the passionate fish breeding person. So back then, you had a lot of people that really got into the idea of breeding particular types of species of fish, and we still have that today. But back then, that was a much higher percentage of the hobby of those individuals. And I think that sometimes that's what kids young kids and young adults are missing is they don't have the opportunity or don't take the time and opportunity to breed some of the fish species that that are really fun to watch mouth breeding i can remember the first time i saw a mouth brooding fish an egyptian mouth brooder that was the most fascinating thing i ever saw as a kid you know or as a young adult is all those babies wandering around the tank and then just all shooting back into the mouth of a fish that that was fantastic. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I agree with you. That it's a really a very interesting uh kind of a evolutionary thing to do. So yeah, that's definitely been fascinating for me as well. So can you uh, maybe give us sort of a uh, verbal tour of your facility? I know folks can kind of get a feel for it going to your website, and we'll have that on your guest page. But maybe kind of walk people through your store today so they can kind of imagine what it is like. Well, I think today it's important uh, for a store like us to actually survive. I think we really need to be a, a vision center. 
So something that people can actually get inspired in the hobby, because otherwise, where are you going to get that? So that's the first thing you'll notice when you go throughout the entire store, whether it's fish or otherwise. We have a lot of display opportunities to kind of share, you know, what does a planet aquarium look like? What does an African cichlid display tank look like? So that's kind of one of the cool elements that we have in the store. But on a more grander note, you know, when somebody walks into a place and they found a place that's a destination, that's what we love about our store is that it's become a destination location because what it has inside the store is not just fish tanks and not just displays, but we literally put a bus, a school bus that is painted kind of in a Caribbean jitney flavor that houses all our small animals. We have a, a river that when you walk in, it kind of leads you back into the fish room and it has a little waterfall and koi. And I have a catfish that lives in that river. The river's probably around 4,000 gallons. And the river has in it, you know what, uh, well, I, one might know, uh, the ripsaw catfish or Oxidorus niger. It's got to be 32, 36 inches long. And it's been with me since 1987. Wow. And he's the most coolest big catfish you'll ever see. And he's got a buddy in there now that I that a customer brought in. So, but we have big koi in there. We have on the other side of the river is the bird department, but we've made that kind of look like a Caribbean village. So that's kind of fun. So the reptile room is cornered off with the big school bus. Inside the school bus is all our small animals. And then on the other side of the school bus cornered into the room is kind of a jungle experience. We even have a fuselage of a plane that's in the rafters that if you happen to ever pay attention, you notice. Uh, and then on the outside of that, there's, uh, so when we were building the store, which was quite the fun experience, my brother had a Triumph Spitfire in the backyard that he had picked up at auction that was going to become a rust bucket if he didn't do something with it because he was never getting around to fix it. So he ended up painting it this candy red color, pulled the motor out and then suspended it from on an angle coming down halfway from the floor to the ceiling. And the ceilings are like 17, 18 feet tall. So there's this at about eight to 10 feet high, there's this uh, Triumph Spitfire that's coming down at you. And then I had muraled uh, landscape of kind of a Caribbean island as if it's traveling down through it. And we've got a, a gecko that's driving the car. And so that's kind of the fun things and probably the most functional part of our fish room besides having that kind of vision center where you can see everything is the testing hut so it's a hut a little caribbean hut but it's also a place where every all the customers come to first thing when they come into the fish room and we can test and analyze water and kind of see what's going on and kind of do it in a kind of a spirit of hey step up to the bar you know <laughs> but it just happens to be a bar with water samples yeah yeah i was really impressed you know when uh, i had the opportunity because of a meeting to uh, visit your place and yeah it was amazing rick i was really really uh, impressed and and uh the knowledge of your employees and everything was really amazing i think we're gonna have to take a quick break but i want to kind of get back and talk a little bit more about your store so uh, let's take a short break and we'll continue our discussion with rick Proust, owner of Proust pets after these messages from our sponsors Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? 
Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories. Party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, Rick Cruz, owner of Cruz Pets. So, Rick, you guys have so much going on there. You know, I know you have a lot of educational programs and, and you know, breeding and all that. And I kind of want to hit on some of those, you know, one at a time. But but maybe can you give us a little idea of how you've structured your store slash organization, uh, you know, kind of departments, that sort of thing? So it comes from people first and uh, people count because customers aren't going to be inspired, encouraged, or even feel like they should be in a hobby unless they have people that can kind of help them along, especially in a a hobby of passion like this. So each department, the bird department, the saltwater department, the freshwater department, the small animal and reptile department, those are all run in a way that have their own leadership and their own staff members. So when you come in in the morning, you're checking into one of those departments. You're not crossing over throughout the store. So that's kind of the the model that we have always had for at least three quarters of the years that we've been in business, which is, well, from 1982. So that model seems to really work because we can actually, when somebody comes into that department, they really get the kind of service that they need. And then two things that are specific to us that I'm really proud of is, one, we have a pretty aggressive training program. You typically would get a trainee shirt when you come in. And then once you've exhibited the the skill sets necessary, when you've checked off the boxes, so to speak, and and you've conveyed that to the the person, the leaders leaders in that department, then you get into like the normal colored shirt that that one can kind of wear with pride because they know they they know the stuff, right? And the other thing that I I really pride ourselves in and the way we do it, it's a just a basic philosophy that only a healthy animal will leave the store. And that is a very difficult challenge when you realize that it does take costs that go above and beyond what one would normally expect in the business to make that happen. So any incoming fish, whenever possible, and it's almost uh, well over 90% of the fish that we sell, have to be isolated and quarantined first before they're ever sold and, and available. So doesn't matter what it is, when it comes in, we're first concerned that it's first acclimated and adjusted and comfortable. And then we have staff trained to kind of eye out any issues or problems. So if we see potential problems, even a trainee shirt person can put a white tag on a tank and make sure that it's on hold until a more senior staff member can either decide to take that tag off or put a a green tag that says, hey, these are under observation. And then we start with the the game plan of how we're going to treat it. So I would say those would be the two main things is to come up with a system for which only healthy fish leave as best we can ever do. And then also have staff members that are part of an overall organization that that really supports the idea of being knowledgeable 
and capable of helping customers and display those skill sets. Yeah, it was definitely, as I mentioned when I was visiting, it was definitely obvious that, you know, you, you guys took a lot of pride and, and they really were very knowledgeable. I, I really appreciated that. Tell us about your, I know you, you do um, events and you have educational programs. Can you tell us about some of that? Sure, sure. So there's a classroom. There's two rooms that we actually have in that store that make us different than the average. And one would be that we haven't talked about and hope we have time for it. And that's our fish breeding room, which I know you were really geeked at when we, oh, when yeah. we got, went back there and took a look. <laughs> and the other, the other one is the classroom. And so one thing that, uh, and this is probably, it's interesting as the generations go, my mother had a certain passion and focus, and then I took it to another level. And then I had a certain focus and passion, and then my daughter's taken it to another level. And and I would say that with my, my daughter's help, and certainly uh, as kind of a, a family priority with my wife, and the, I think an anchored point on this whole store is education and outreach. So we have a classroom that works as just yesterday, I had a classroom of college students learning marine biology and in the classroom the teacher came in and taught her class and then she took the students out to see all the different invertebrates that we had on display so that the students could actually see what they look like and then that's awesome that's great you you blend that with we do birthday parties one of the fun things is is that you can have a birthday party at the store now that we have that classroom and what's really cool about it is every birthday party that we have has with it uh, maybe a 20-minute presentation about the types of animals and what makes responsible pet keeping and what type of animals make good pets and that's always a really cool never expected to learn something but they get to learn something when they come in for what they were thought to be just a fun engagement and then we're able to have classes like reef keeping 101 and other types of classes that we are able to hold in there on an ongoing basis that can really elevate the game of that customer coming in that doesn't necessarily relate to the idea of, you know, that one-on-one relationship. They would like to have like a more thorough presentation at any given time, maybe a one-hour class. And that, you know, everybody's different. You know, some people want to have that class arrangement and it works really, really well. And others want to have that one-on-one conversation. Sometimes it's so busy, it's hard to get that one-on-one time. So a class is one thing that we have a lot of demand for and people asking for, which can really accelerate somebody's understanding of the hobby. So you must have a pretty loyal uh, customer base, I would imagine. We do. We pride ourselves in that. And I'll tell you, throughout the day or any day that goes by, my job is to stand back a little bit and not be in the trenches as much, although I'm the first one that wants to jump in there. And the <laughs> yeah. customer the customer feedback is always fantastic. I, I There's nothing I enjoy more in life than to have a customer come out of their way that just explain what a great experience they had. One of the advantages, I think, in today's marketplace, giving that kind of top shelf service is that people don't get it anymore. They don't have an opportunity commonly in the retail environment to get that top shelf interaction and care and compassion that you can get at our store. And so it really, what we might have seen back in the 70s and 80s is just expected of us as just that's the way business is run anymore when you give it, you know, you're considered exceptional, you know, so 
It's true. So that's kind of, you know, yes, it's expensive and yes, it's a, it's a challenge in today's marketplace, but on the flip side to it, people really notice. And so we have a huge following in the Lansing area of customers that just think we're where it's at. You know what I mean? They really are thankful. I can't tell you how many times during the weekday, they'll, somebody will just come up to me and say, I just want to thank you for having this in your community, our community. So, you know, and that's on the great days. There's always the shortcomings, but for the most part, I would say 90, 95% of the interactions I have with customers and with people out in the community. When I go out there, I was, I just went to go pick up my subway and uh, on the way out, there's a customer that stops me and says, you know, I'm just going over to the vet. And it happened to be that he, he lost his bird of like 18 years, but he couldn't help but stop and just talk to me and, and just have good things to say. And then while he's talking to me, there's another customer that comes by and just says, I just wanted to give you a hug. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. So, you know, we're, <laughs> yeah. wait, and, and that's the, and my employees get the same reaction when they go out in the community. If you really put your heart into it and do the best you can, it's not all, you're not going to have all friends, but you have a lot of friends and it's, it makes it well worthwhile. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I completely agree. Hey, now, so let's go to the uh, the geek part now. Uh, tell us a little bit about how and when and why you decided to actually breed fish in-house, which is, you know, obviously not very common for a lot of aquarium and pet stores. Sure, sure. It started one day when uh, a gentleman by the name of Antonio Comos, that uh, he's a, a fish doctor from Cuba, managed to immigrate here into the United States. And uh, his first day, his first job interview was with me sitting in my office and showing me pictures of his backyard fish breedery, you know, um, ponds and such, and was breeding a lot of fish on the side while he did his daytime job as a veterinarian in Cuba. And so that started a kinship. We always wanted to be able to breed fish and the fish that we've always want to breed is fish that would be difficult to bring in as far as issues. Okay. Angelfish at that time, angelfish disease was a roaring issue throughout the trade and nobody had healthy angelfish. And also live bears have always been an issue since the mid eighties, as far as, you know, I don't know if it's just that they've been bred so much in captivity that they are weak or difficult, but trying to have a healthy live bear day in, day out on your sales floor has always been a bit of a challenge just because of stressors that they must have or difficulties. I just, when I talk to one store owner or another, nobody can speak really highly about the quality of their live bears. And I can, and I can because Antonio breeds on a live bears. We have practically every guppy variety that you would expect us to have under the rainbow from cobras to delta tails to beautiful, just beautiful fish. And then sortels, platys, mollies, variatus, all things that we breed right in house. And so I can always have those healthy fish all the time, the types of fish that don't do well being shipped around. Uh, rams, you know, pistogramma ramirizis, uh, those can be difficult. And by breeding our own rams, we can at least have constantly available rams that customers can come in and get. Can't breed everything, but there's a good variety of fish that we breed. And I would say that's the main genesis as to what we have in our back breeding room. And you probably get a lot of interest from, I'm assuming, from visitors as well. And I don't, do you allow them to kind of go back there and see? I'm assuming there's, you probably have some biosecurity things, but do they ever get to watch? Yeah. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, people need to understand that there is a difference at our store and that, you know, you put all this time, energy and effort. And I can tell you that from a balance sheet, it's not something that most stores would ever entertain doing. But in order to make it work, 
you know, we need to let people know that we actually do these type of things. And we're really proud of it. So if anybody ever comes in and they would like a tour of our fish room, any of our staff members can take you back there and show you around and show you what we're doing. And it's a pretty substantial operation with, with an amazing selection of fish back there and really healthy. I mean, he, he produces guppies that are nearly the size of sword tails. So yeah, it's, uh, amazing. it's, it's, it's amazing. So now I know you've had a lot, I mean, you've been established and around for so long. I know you've had a lot of really interesting kind of stories. I think there was one we had talked about when there was, um, I guess, power outages, maybe. Tell us a little bit about that. And then maybe if there's any other interesting stories or anecdotes that you can remember. Sure, sure. Well, I think one thing happened, it was uh, near Christmas time, 2013, in the Lansing area and much of the mid-Michigan area was hit with a, a snowstorm that took out power in that whole area in some parts from one to two weeks. So we didn't have our power compromised. We did okay. Uh, we're not too far from the power station and everything turned out okay. Just happens to be, I think, in the in that time of year, we tend not to bring in many fish because they don't ship very well and the, and the airlines are very reluctant to bring fish in when travel was so high. So our quarantine room, which we never really talked about, but we have a substantial quarantine room, as big as our fish breeding room, was pretty much empty of fish, right? And then there were whatever tanks that we had both because we sell used equipment. We had a number of fish tanks that were empty and, and just sitting there and what new tanks we needed. We ended up setting up must have been 60 to 80 clients fish in our store on an emergency type situation because they didn't really have any options. You know, it wasn't like they could get it restored within a day or two. So we had kind of this. Like we'll do everything possible to help every customer. So anybody that called or whatnot that had fish, we told them to bring them in if they didn't have any alternatives. And uh, and I might say that we saved a number of fish. Unfortunately, I, I'm quite sure as the days and weeks went by, a number of customers lost their fish. And that was a pretty tough year. But I at least would say that we did the best we could at navigating through that. And uh, people would ask why why we did it or, you know, and it, it just comes second nature. It's like, what can we do to help? And that's the best thing we could do at the time. So, yeah, that was great. I mean, amazing when you told me about that. I uh, that, was, that was really a great thing to and I'm sure the customers were really, really appreciative as were, of course, the fish. So um, I, I think the one thing I did want to talk about that kind of was, you know, my personal moment that changed me and it, it had to do with um this is early on when we 1984 85 we were just getting back into saltwater fish keeping and i was telling you earlier in this interview that it was a rough time it was a difficult time and didn't have any place to turn so i had a customer that bought a lionfish and i went to their house because they called and said it wasn't doing well i went into this house it was an apartment in the middle of town in a, a poor neighborhood and I went into their apartment. They literally had no furniture, no couch or anything. They just had a fish tank set up, right? And it was obviously the most important thing in their lives. And I got to watch as the lionfish took its last gasp as it died of something as simple as saltwater ick. But at least at that point, I took that energy and I said, we'll do whatever is necessary so that we can actually be something different 
than, you know, a place that I can't be proud of. And from that time on, in 1987, there was a, uh, a fish disease workshop, a three-day workshop at University of Georgia. That really made a difference. Dr. Gradsick had a, a program there where veterinarians and pet store owners and other people in the industry could come and learn. And from that time, we learned quarantining fish was essential. Use of the microscope was important and those type of things. And I think the biggest thing that I want to say before, you know, I kind of get off the air is that that there are, I'm sure, many individuals out there in the same shoes where they might feel like they want to figure things out and know that there are friends out there that are willing to do what's necessary to help you along the way and that there's a right way to do things and we need to always be focusing on figuring out the best way, best practice, right way to move forward so that we have a trade that we can be really proud of and find that those who look down upon us don't look down upon us, but look at us with something that says, you know, we're doing a responsible part in worshiping the value of the lives of those animals that we care for. Yeah, I completely agree. Definitely a lot of things we can improve on and definitely things, many things have improved. So speaking of that, what's your, um, what does your crystal ball tell you is going to be happening in the hobby in the next maybe 10 or 20 years? What's your thoughts on that? Well, it enters both uh, caution and concern and uh, worry and also optimism and hope. So the caution and concern is that the practices that make this industry less than respectable, you know, they need to change. You know, we need to always be looking at fish life or animal life as a treasured element and not the actual commodity of sale. And I think that as time goes on, and I think that we start acknowledging the importance and the value of pet keeping and the importance of what they can do to make our lives better, I think that more and more efforts will be made to have places to go that you can actually be inspired and you can learn from and you can grow from. And I just don't think it's there yet. I think it's something that we're working towards. But I'm hoping that as in 10 years, stores continue to be profitable, but they angle off the profitability of really being leaders and capable of creating a place that inspires the hobby. That's my hope. I think it's a hope for all of us. Definitely. Did you have any uh, final words of wisdom uh, before we close out? Final words of wisdom. Do what your heart says to do and know that you have to do it within financial limitations. But definitely follow your heart and try not to ever make compromises just because don't think that's the only option. It might be a little tougher road, but make the options that make sense both not only from a dollars and cents standpoint, but from what's in your heart and, and you know is right. Well, thank you very much for that, Rick. And definitely, uh, it's always been a pleasure and privilege knowing you and uh, visiting your facility. Hope to get back there at some point. You guys do an amazing job. And again, as I mentioned many times, I was very impressed and still am impressed with uh, everything you you and your staff do for the local as well as the uh, national and international hobby. You too, Dr. Roy, because uh, I can't say enough about where you're at, the position you're in, and the influence that you make on everybody in the industry. And thank you for being right where you are. I appreciate that, Rick. Thank you. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I want to thank our guest, Rick Pruce, and our producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. 
please be sure to check out Rick's web links, which we'll have on his Aquarium Mania episode and uh, guest page. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's D-R-R-O-Y at petliferadio.com. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores, keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy, and if you're ever in or near Lansing, Michigan, definitely visit Bruce Pets. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.